podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. We hope you enjoy this sermon. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com. Good morning, church. It's a privilege to be with you all today. Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 19. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. And we're going to read through verse 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, I have half of my goods that I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Almighty and everlasting God. So we look into a world that is threatened by war in the Middle East and fires in Australia and earthquakes in Puerto Rico, where we see evidence all around us that creation is groaning for redemption. Lord, I pray that on this Sunday morning, on this Lord's Day, that your Holy Spirit would reveal to our hearts the good news of your gospel, the hope that that redemption is coming. Give us eyes to see and to behold to Jesus. Inform us to be the people of God that go out into this world to seek and to save the lost. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You can have your seat today. I'm at a place in life where I will never pick up a call from a number that I do not know. Sales calls have ruined it for me. Scam calls have ruined it for me. I can't even trust 806 numbers anymore. I'm tired of uh, getting sales calls, but more than that, the the scammers are the ones that really bother me. And perhaps you've received these before. I now receive them, I think, on a weekly basis. It's it's some iteration of the same thing. Either the IRS is about to sue you, the Social Security Administration is about to sue you and and to take your money, um, and you have to be able to pay some type of ransom to get out of that legal situation. Uh, For some people, people are threatened Uh, with some long-lost relative that has apparently found themselves in jail and they need bail money desperately. Uh, For some people, it's their bank that's calling them, saying, uh, we need you to confirm your checking account and your savings account, your credit card number, and your social security number. And the, the point of this is all the same, to be able to fish for information and then to be able to use that information to swindle people out of their money. Um, There are sadly people who have lost tens of thousands of dollars, people who have lost their entire savings account uh, because of these types of scams. And in fact, just in the year 2018, it's estimated that $50 million were lost 
to these types of scams. I mean, that's just that absolutely tragic. In fact, it, this actually recently was attempted at Redeemer Christian Church. I don't know if you saw this or, or caught a word of this, but several of our community group leaders received an email from a person claiming to be me. Uh, they reached out to our community group leaders and said, hey, uh, someone's in the hospital and I need your help. I need you to respond immediately. Now, don't call me. Don't text me. I'm in a meeting. I need you to respond just to this email address. And if a person responded to that email address, what would happen is they were requested to purchase an eBay gift card to be able to help the person that was in the hospital. And so thankfully, none of our community group leaders thought that it was uh, going to be a life or death issue if someone in the hospital got an eBay gift card. But sadly, there are many people in our, our country that have been swindled by these people. And when you think about a, a scammer, you have to ask yourself the, the question of, what type of person is willing to do this? What does it take to get into the mindset that you're willing to uh, steal money, essentially, from your neighbor? I mean, this really is, we would probably consider, the, the worst type of person. And that is exactly how people in first century Palestine thought about tax collectors. Today in our text, we meet one particular tax collector named Zacchaeus. And he wasn't just a normal tax collector. He wasn't just any tax collector. Luke chapter 19 describes him as a chief tax collector. And he was very rich, which means he was very much the worst of the worst. He was willing to steal more money from his neighbors because this is essentially what a tax collector was. It was an ethnically Jewish person, and they were living in a time when the Roman Empire had dominion over uh, God's people in God's land. And most people in Israel longed to be their own kingdom. They longed for national independence. They longed for freedom. They longed for the ability to have self-determination. They felt like that was their God-given right and their God-given destiny. But tax collectors were people that saw Roman occupation as a fantastic financial opportunity. And so they were able to get taxes from their fellow countrymen, from their fellow relatives and, and friends and fellow Jews. And oftentimes what they would do, because they had so much power and they were so corrupt, they would not just take what was required to pay taxes, they would take a little bit more off the top. So this turned into an opportunity for people to become very rich. They were oftentimes viewed as absolute traitors to God's people. They were considered morally unclean. And so, think about the synagogue ruler who is in Jericho as Jesus is passing through the city. The synagogue ruler who is so meticulously fought, tried to follow all of God's rules. Think about the zealot revolutionary who is trying hard to undermine Roman occupation and oppression. And then Jesus, of all people, chooses the tax collector. And that really does show us something that is profound, that he seeks Zacchaeus, that he saves Zacchaeus. This shows us that Jesus really does save the unlikely and the unworthy. And that is the beauty and the scandal of grace, isn't it? And if we don't think that Jesus is capable of saving truly the worst of us, then I would argue we don't truly understand the nature of grace. Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost, and I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about those two profound truths. So point number one, Jesus seeks. Jesus has come to town. He is nearing the end of a very long journey that he has been on in the gospel according to Luke. He has traveled all the way from Galilee in the north 
to the city of Jerusalem in the south. And the last major city that he is going to pass through on his way to the holy city is Jericho. And he enters into Jericho as one whose fame has grown nationally. Everybody knows about Jesus. They know of this great rabbi that preaches God's word with authority, this great worker of miracles that it seems like a a new prophet has come along the scene, and everybody wants to catch a glimpse of him. This is compounded by the fact that Jesus, upon arriving in the town, has just healed a man. He healed blind Bartimaeus, as we saw from last week's passage. And even this scoundrel, this man named Zacchaeus, this tax collector, is interested in catching a glimpse of Jesus. We don't know his motivation for sure. Maybe he's beginning to sense a a little bit of conflict. Maybe he is a a, a little bit convicted that he has been taking advantage of his neighbors and his family members and his relatives and his friends for all of his life, and he's, he's wanting to change his life. Maybe he just wants to see a celebrity. Whatever the case, we know that Zacchaeus is apparently a short man, and so he can't peek up over the heads of the crowd that are lining up across the streets, and so he climbs into a random sycamore tree. However, on closer examination of the text, while it looks like Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus, it becomes very apparent that Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus. Look at the text beginning in verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus comes directly to the place that Zacchaeus is. He stops, he looks up, And he looks to this man that he has never met, and he calls him by name. He then tells Zacchaeus that he must come to his house. Now, that Greek word that's translated as must conveys a sense of divine necessity. In other words, it is not just random happenstance that Jesus has come and stood beside Zacchaeus' sycamore tree. This is a preordained moment that is a part of God's plan. Maybe you can think of a time in your life where it felt like you were really pursuing God. But I encourage you at this moment to reflect on your life and consider what are some of the ways that if you reflect on the story of your life that you've seen God's evidence of grace to you? What are some of the ways that maybe you see that undeniable evidence that God has sought you because he has sought you? You know what the book of Ephesians tells us in the first chapter? So if you're a Christian, that before the foundation of the world, he was pursuing you, that he was chasing you. More than a decade ago, I had the chance to go to the nation of Israel and see some of the amazing places where various stories of the Bible took place. It was truly a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and I loved every moment of it. And while I was over there, I took the opportunity to buy some presents for several of my family members, and they were truly one-of-a-kind gifts. And sadly, as I was returning back to the United States of America, a a lot of crazy stuff happened. There was a a guy that sadly uh, died on the flight, the transatlantic flight from Germany to uh, DFW. Lots of craziness happened. Anyways, long story short, my bag was lost. And we were pretty sure that it was lost somewhere in DFW airport, which at that point in time 
was the largest airport in the nation. And so I got home, and I was absolutely devastated. I had only my carry-on bag, and I was telling my parents that I'd lost my bag and that I'd got them some gifts, and I was, I was so sorry, but that I was not going to be able to give those gifts to them. And my dad saw how much this bag meant to me and how much these presents meant to me, and so he did something that absolutely shocked me. He actually took some time and drove down to Dallas, and he searched through every single a cart of, of lost baggage in DFW Airport to find my bag. Now, searching for a lost piece of luggage in DFW Airport really is like trying to find a needle in a stack of needles. My dad had the person that was working the lost and found desk cart out every single cart of lost luggage. And on the very last one, he found my bag. And I remember being just so blown away by this, that more than just being uh, overjoyed that my lost luggage was retrieved, I was so moved that my dad loved me so much that he would go to such an extent to seek that which was lost, that mattered so much to his son. And infinitely more so, we have a Father God that has gone to such extraordinary lengths to seek us. We see in the Gospel of Luke repeatedly that God is a God who has sought us and found us when we were unlikely and unlovable. That he is the shepherd that leaves the 99 and he seeks the one. He is the prodigal that when he sees his son come over the horizon, he leaves his chair and he runs to embrace his son. We've recently just finished Christmas season where we remember the incarnation, the truth that that God is so committed to seeking his people that he stepped off of his throne in heaven and came down into creation. That the infinite, eternal, omnipotent God became human flesh and dwelt among us. That that incarnation represents the greatest act of humility, the greatest act of grace our minds could ever comprehend. That he is not a God who meets us halfway. He is a God who comes all the way to us. So we have to look at this and say, is that truth, the truth of the incarnation, just a truth about Jesus? Or is it potentially also a truth about who we are called to be as the body of Christ? In other words, the the incarnation isn't just about Christ. It's about his body too. It's about who we are called to be. It determines our sense of mission as well. Because I'll tell you this, the body of Christ and its mission is not determined by our sense of convenience or comfort that we too, I believe, are called to seek and to save the lost. Now, there's some well-intentioned ways um, that I think are unwise that we can go about trying to seek people that do not yet know Jesus. Standing on street corners with megaphones comes to mind. Going out to eat on Sunday lunch and giving your server a gospel tract instead of a tip. Bad idea. Not a good witness for Jesus Christ. We can shame people on social media because they don't agree with us. But there are biblical ways that I think that we can be incarnational in our ministry. We can seek to live humble and holy lives before all men. We can fervently pray for people that we love who do not yet love Jesus. We can practice radical hospitality as we see Jesus in this very passage sharing a meal with Zacchaeus at his home. Whenever we have the opportunity... We can talk clearly and wisely and graciously and boldly about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we must ask ourselves the question, are we truly seeking the lost or are we shaming the lost? 
Are we seeking the lost and going to them, or are we expecting the lost to come to us? Point number two, Jesus saves. Two years ago, I came across the story of a man named Ken Parker. Ken Parker was a member of the Ku Klux Klan and a grand wizard in that organization. He was a neo-Nazi. In fact, he participated in the famous white nationalist rally that was in Charlottesville, Virginia, that made international news. Um, This was a man who, by his own admission, said that his entire identity and his entire life was based on hatred. But since that time, Mr. Parker's life has gone, undergone this radical transformation. He happened to meet a black man named William McKinnon, who was having a barbecue at his apartment complex. And as he began to engage this man and visit with him, he learned that William McKinnon was a pastor of a predominantly black church, and he actually invited Ken Parker, looking the way that he looked, to be able to come and enjoy a Sunday worship with that church. So he came to that church, thinking that he would only go once. But there he encountered the word of God, proclaimed from the pulpit. He experienced the love of God that was embodied by the people that he met there. And instead of coming once, he just kept on coming again and again and again. And he found that he could not get away from this group of people. On Easter Sunday of 2018, Ken Parker quit the Ku Klux Klan and became a Christian. And then a few weeks later, he traded his clan robe for a baptismal robe and was baptized by his pastor. This is a fundamental transformation of someone's identity. And we have to ask the question, what in the world could possibly account for a transformation that deep? A transformation that goes far beyond just outward actions, but goes to the very fundamental core of someone's identity, and the answer is Jesus, only Jesus. That's the type of transformation that we see in this text with Zacchaeus. Kent R. Hughes has written this about Zacchaeus. He says, from a tax-collecting perspective, Zacchaeus had it made. Taxes were collected at three places inland in the area where Jesus was, Capernaum, Jericho, and Jerusalem. And he had one of the big three. He was the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel. And he had the scruples of a modern-day crack dealer. He was filthy rich in the fullest sense of the term. Not a likely candidate for the kingdom. But of all the changes that happen whenever Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, everything that happens is a fundamental change once he meets Jesus. Look at Verse 8, one more time from our text. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, he acknowledges the lordship of Jesus. And he says, Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore fourfold. Now think about this. Think, think about how profound this is. Zacchaeus' wealth was everything to him. Zacchaeus was so committed to amassing material possessions and money that he was willing to sacrifice his reputation for it, that he was willing to sacrifice all of his relationships for it. But all of this changes when he encounters Jesus. He's willing to give it all up. He gives half of it away to the poor. Imagine your net worth being cut in half in one moment. And then with that remainder, he is going to do the effort to make a fourfold restitution of people that he has swindled. 
Not only is he giving up his wealth, which is ironically the thing that the rich young ruler was unwilling to do, he's going to go above and beyond what even the Old Testament law required. This is a dramatic reversal of his allegiance and his way of life. There is this newness of life that has been birthed in Zacchaeus, and it begins to radiate outward, and it doesn't just stop with him. Fred Craddock observes that his salvation has personal, domestic, social, and economic dimensions. That everyone can see the difference that Jesus has made. In words, Zacchaeus models the very definition of repentance. He turns away from his sin, and he turns to a God that is so much better. Zacchaeus is saved, and his life is forever changed. The question I have for you today is, if you are a professed Christian... I challenge yourself to ask the question, are you living a visibly different life because of Jesus? Now, the community that's around Zacchaeus, the community of Jericho, is scandalized. They all grumble towards Jesus. They can't believe of all the people that are more worthy of Jesus' time, Jesus chooses Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is not going to be a man that Jesus defines by his sin. He's going to look at Zacchaeus and he's going to see a child of the covenant. Look at verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Ironically, um, Zacchaeus' name in the Hebrew language means one who is righteous, a righteous one. And for all of his life, Zacchaeus is living outside of his identity. In this moment of encountering Jesus, that is all restored shows us that Jesus does have a plan for us, even if we feel like we're very far outside of that in this moment. And in fact, you know what happens to Zacchaeus later on? Early church tradition says that he's going to become a member of the church of Jerusalem, and that even later he is going to be appointed by Peter himself to become a bishop in the city of Caesarea. Zacchaeus is going to become a pastor. Zacchaeus isn't saved because he's righteous. He is righteous because he is saved. And this ends with this profound, amazing verse. This is, a, this is a wonderful memory verse, by the way. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There are actually several New Testament theologians that consider this one verse to be the thesis statement for all of the gospel according to Luke. Luke presents Jesus to us as one who invites unclean shepherds to his birthday party. That he leaves the crowds, he ignores the crowds of fawning fans, and he invites children to come near to him. That he sees a a blind beggar and asks him how he can serve him. That he chooses tax collectors that are vile and hated and calls them to be apostles and pastors. Luke is showing us over and over again that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, that Jesus can save you. That Christ can give you an identity that is greater than your greatest sin. Because let's be honest about Zacchaeus. He was a man who was seen as a traitor. What Jesus is doing in this moment is he is on a journey. We're reminded in this passage that he is on a journey. And he is going to Jerusalem, not just for any random reason. Jesus is marching to Jerusalem to die a traitor's death. He's going to go to a a Roman cross where he is going to receive the penalty for all of our sin. 
And he's going to rise again in victory to be able to defeat the power of evil itself. So, Redeemer Christian Church, may we be a people who have the eyes to see how Jesus has sought us, how Jesus has sought you when you were Zacchaeus. May we be a people that marvel at the glory of the salvation that has been wrought for us. May we be the body of Christ that go out into our broken world to seek the lost. May we live lives that are visibly different because we have encountered Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your gospel of very scandalous grace. And Lord, in the, in the midst of a world that feels so chaotic, maybe people's individual lives right now that, that feel chaotic, I pray that you would give us eyes to behold the hope of your gospel, that you are a God who has sought us, and you are a God who saves us. Lord, I pray um, that we would marvel at your salvation and that it would move us to worship, that it would move us to obedience, that it would move us to, to live life as your people faithfully. But I also pray that we would be the body of Christ, that we would see people who are living outside of your will and your ways and that we would not seek to shame them, but to serve them, to love them, and to seek them. So, Lord, we, we give you our hearts, we give you this time, and I pray that your spirit would form us to, today to be the body of Christ that is faithful to the call you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com.